Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give these tithes and offerings. Would you use them for the advancement of your kingdom in this world, that we might be faithful stewards of these monies, that we would be joyful givers in our offering time. Lord, would you bless those that you intend to bless with this gift. We pray, Lord, that we would acknowledge with great gratitude that everything we have is from you, first and foremost. And so we give it back um, as managers, not as though we were blessing you somehow. Lord, would you send forth your spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds for the preaching of the word. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things contained in your law. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you would, grab a Bible nearby, hopefully one that you maybe brought with you. If not, there are Bibles in the pew back in front of you. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I will read the first four verses of the chapter, but our time this morning is going to be limited uh, to verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. I meant to send an email out this week encouraging you all to wear your steel-toed boots to church today because I intend to step on everyone's toes. Um, My limp is a result of preparation from this sermon, by the way, so you're not uh, experiencing this alone. Think back with me to when you were a child. For some of you, I can see some of you now, you're thinking about this very moment. Some of our children here are going, okay, I'm, I'm a child in the home of my parent right now. Others, and I won't make direct eye contact, you're going to have to reach pretty far back uh, to remember when you were a child. But do that with me all together. Let's think back to when we were children. And I think that we can collectively agree that our least favorite thing to hear as a child were these words. Because I said so. Do you remember hearing that? Because I said so. Why, Dad? Because I said so. And now many of you have said that yourselves. Your children are looking at you right now, daggers, because they know what's coming. As children, we knew it, and as parents, we know it. This phrase, because I said so, is the response of someone who either A, believes that it's beneath them to explain themselves to a child... Or B, someone who doesn't really know why they're telling their child to do what they're telling them to do. Many parents have this sort of wrong-headed notion that being a parent makes them right all the time, and being a child makes their child wrong all the time. And that's just the way things are in the world. I tell you, because I said so, obviously I'm right, I'm the parent. You do it, obviously you don't need to understand you're a child. Furthermore... Many parents believe that any question of their instruction or discipline or commands is a violation of their authority 
or their position, or worse yet, of their value in the home. Let me say that again. Many parents believe that any question whatsoever of their commands or instruction or discipline is a violation of their authority, which in many cases it is, but worse yet that any question of their commands or instruction or discipline is a violation of their worth in the home. Many parents have convinced themselves that their real worth is found in their ability to force or demand obedience from those in subjection to them. Now, you'll notice the parallels that exist here between abusive, domineering, authoritarian parenting and abusive, authoritarian, domineering husbanding. And wives do do this as well. But the link, the jump between a father who harshly, abusively demands blind obedience from his children without any justification or biblical support for his position is the same sort of man who demands that his wife blindly listen to everything he tells her to do based on whatever whim or fancy happens to cross his mind from moment to moment. They're not very distant from one another. Which is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 moves quite quickly from husbands and wives to parents and children to masters and slaves because this is the setting in which we see these sorts of behaviors on display. In other words, a big problem in Christian parenting and parenting that goes on in homes within the church of Christ is that there's no why behind the parents' commands. Now, I don't mean to imply that every time you tell your child to do something, you have to give them a reason. Paul gives them a reason. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But there's an expectation that the obedient disposition is based on your in-the-Lord parenting. So there's more than just a because-I-said-so dynamic in Scripture. But there's no source, no why, no fountainhead of many parents parenting other than the fact that they are the parent they functionally deny that their authority is a derived authority that comes from christ and therefore ought to be modeled after the authority from which it's been derived rather they parent according to their whims or according to their upbringing or according to whatever cultural image of masculinity or fatherhood they've linked themselves or attached themselves to they're not parenting their children toward anything with a goal in mind other than their own parenting instead of pointing our children in the direction of nurture and admonition of the lord parenting them toward an end which is christ himself we parent our children because we're their parents And that's it. That's as far as many of us go in thinking about how and why we talk to our children and instruct and train and discipline them. And what this results in, and Paul will show us this shortly, what this results in is rather than driving them toward that end, which is Christ, we're driving them away from ourselves and from the church and from God. As Peter says, the wrath, or excuse me, James James says, the wrath of God does The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I know that passages like this leave many people feeling left out. Perhaps I read, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And a large majority, all of the ladies in the church just said, okay, I'll wait till the next sermon that's here for moms or mothers or wives. Children, you said, well, I'm not a parent, so I'm just going to 
turn off now and see what I can doodle on, my, on the back of my sermon notes instead of paying attention to God's Word. I want to encourage you that this text is for all of us. This text is for all of us. First of all, when Paul says fathers, he's speaking to parents. Now, he is identifying the biblical principle of paternal headship within the home, which he outlines for us in chapter 5 of Ephesians, that husbands have headship in their home that's derived from God's design and authority that he gives them. But when he says fathers here, he's speaking to parents. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents. So right off the bat, the context is very clear. Paul intends that children are to respond to both parents with an equal amount of respectful obedience. Verse 2, and honor your father and mother, right? So there's no part of this that Paul sees being parsed out that children should obey fathers and mothers. Fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. Mothers do whatever you want, right? That's not what he's saying. Second to that, we can look at two Old Testament passages that are paradigmatic for biblical parenting. And I want us to turn there. I think it will be helpful for us. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, is, this is one of the paradigms in the Old Testament for what the Christian household ought to look like. How God expects his people to act in the home setting, in the covenant family dynamic. Back in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses has reissued the Ten Commandments. It's a a, a recapitulation of the law. Don't forget the people that are receiving Deuteronomy are those who were young at Mount Sinai when God originally gave the law. All of their folks are gone now. They died in the wilderness over the last 40 years. And so now this second generation, the conquest generation, is receiving the law and a reminder of God's covenant promises and the works that he's done. And he says this in the great Shema passage of Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and so on and so forth. Notice what Moses doesn't say. Hear, fathers, what the Lord has said and done. Rather, he says, hear you, all Israelites, Y'all is the Hebrew. Everybody who's listening, God is speaking to you and telling you all, in verse 7, to teach these things diligently to your children. So from the very early days of God's relationship with his corporate people, he is intended for parents and those in positions of authority older folks as well. One commentator, in fact, links our passage in Ephesians to fathers-in-law and mothers-in-law and grandparents and elders in the church and deacons and anybody who's older and more mature in Christ. And so this is for all of us. God expects us to be teaching those who are children like to us, not only our own children, but those who are children like to us, who God is and what he's done. Now flip over to the book of Proverbs. We've been reading Proverbs in our evening worship services. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Neil preached on this passage two weeks ago, Proverbs 1, last week. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And we're all familiar with this text, especially after the sermon last week. And we know that God gives us the book of Proverbs through Solomon and other wise sages of his day to teach young people how to live in a fallen world, what to be careful of and who to listen to, what to avoid and what to pursue, what to hate and what to love. Proverbs is given for our youth for that reason. It's a reason why it's one of the wonderful books for family worship around the table to teach our children what God is about, what the world is about, and how to know the difference. And look at what it says in verse 8. My son, listen to your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. It says the same thing in chapter 6, verse 20. In other words, Solomon begins his book of wisdom by telling us that the instruction of the godly child is a co-parenting responsibility. Fathers and mothers, children, listen to your parents. Wives, do not sit there silently while your husband neglects his responsibility to lead the children in instruction and discipline. That's also your mantle to take up. Now, husbands, don't give your, reason, your wives a reason to do all the lifting. Fathers and mothers, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. So when Paul here in Ephesians 6 gives us this word, he tells us that fathers are not to provoke their children to anger. He's speaking to parents. I think that's clear. He wants both parents to be aware here of what the Lord intends for the Christian home to look like and what the parent's responsibility is to be. I, I do not deny, and please don't hear me say, that Paul is not leaning on the fathers as the covenant heads of their homes. It's a wrong conclusion, however, to go too far the other way and say he's only speaking to fathers. Okay? So we see that this text is for all parents. Furthermore, I think we can agree, as I've already pointed out somewhat uh, uh, at this point, that this text applies to all of us. Some of you here are uh, older and your folks are gone and you have no children or grandchildren here. Some of you here are single and have never been married or are not married now. Some of you are married and have no children and you think to yourself, this is great. I wish my parents had read this passage, but I don't know what to do with it. Once again, I'll draw your attention to your membership vows, that when we baptize our covenant children and when you join in membership to our church, we agree together to nurture and admonish one another in the Lord, that my children are your children. Now, I don't leave them in your care necessarily with, by abdicating my responsibility, but I certainly expect that you're praying for my kids as I am for yours, and that you're encouraging them in the Lord as I am yours when I see them, and so forth. So those of you who have no physical children of your own or in proximity, this matters to you. And beyond that, some of you here at this church have been walking with Christ longer than I've been alive, longer than many of us have been alive. There are people among us in this congregation who are spiritual children to you whether by virtue of your discipleship relationship with them or simply your Christian maturity. The same word that Paul gives to fathers here in Ephesians 6, 4, don't be harsh with your kids, applies to those less mature believers around you. For some reason, there's this sort of crustification that happens in the Christian life that the older you get, the more grumpy and abrasive you become. And I heard this one fellow one time, and he kind of dismissed it by saying, well, that's just who I am. I mean, where else is that uh, an appropriate uh, excuse for unchristian behavior, right? Well, I'm just kind of that sort of guy. I just say it like it is. 
well, you also treat people very harshly, and that's an unchristian way to treat people. And so for those of you who are more mature in the faith, I would encourage you to think about the tone that you set when you see one of our young little children running around here like they're doing the NFL combine, and you want to gently encourage them to slow down a little bit lest they dislocate our poor pastor's hip, you say, why don't you guys slow down? Let me tell you, come here real quick. Let me tell you why we treat this place with such reverence and care. Because this is where we gather to worship Almighty God. And you can have a gentle and kind, instructive and training and discipline-toned uh, time with those children rather than being harsh and just seeing if you can elbow them without leaving a mark. So this text is for all of us. It's for all of you. It's certainly for me. I have felt the burden, especially during the first service. My children were not here. My wife and kids came here for the second service recognizing that I will speak about things in this text, and as I have prayed through this text over the last week, the Lord has made it abundantly clear that this sermon is for me. And so my kids are going to be firing daggers at me as much as any of yours are at you. And so we're in this together, and I want us to go through this with, with a couple of, of attitudes. Number one, all of Scripture is profitable for teaching and training and rebu rebuking and reproof. And so think to yourself, where do I land in that spectrum? What do I need today? Do I need to be rebuked for my harsh parenting or for my failure to parent in, with discipline and instruction? Do I need to be corrected in some of my thinking about the relationship between me and my wife and our parenting? Do I need to be trained, some of you young people or newlyweds, in what it's going to be like when I become a parent? So first of all, I want us to humbly ask the Lord to communicate to our hearts through his word and by his spirit how he would have us apply this passage to our particular circumstances, okay? That's number one. The second attitude that I want us to have in this text is a reminder, is a reminder that this text points us to Christ. Be reminded that we have the category of father because we have a heavenly father. And the way he treats his son, and the way he has treated us through his son, is the framework with which we parent our children. So I don't want us to miss those two things as we look at this text today. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 gives us three components of biblical parenting which help us answer the question, how do we father like the father? How do we father, how do we parent like our heavenly father? And the first one is this, it's a negative. The first admonition that Paul gives us is not to provoke our children to anger. Don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, biblical parenting is not harsh. We don't want to be harsh with our children. Notice, first of all, that Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, he says this in the context of a letter written to a church community, doesn't he? So don't miss that fact that when Paul is speaking to fathers about the way they treat their children, he full well expects that their kids are sitting there looking at mom and dad like this, right? Just like back in chapter 5 when he was like, wives, submit to your husbands, and all the men went, mm-hmm. And then he says, husbands, nurture and cherish and sacrifice and love and support and respect and be kind to your wives. And they all went, mm-hmm, right? Because they're sitting there looking at each other, listening to this word be read. And all the kids are going, is that how you're supposed to treat mom? Really? Is that how you're supposed to respond to dad? Really? 
He wants the kids to know and to see and to be exposed to what he, what God expects the Christian home to look like. And then he says, verses 1, 2, and 3, parent, children, obey your parents and the mom and dad together. Look down at their children. Well, it came from the Lord, came from the Lord. He said, obey your parents. And then Paul does what most of us find slightly discomforting. He says, fathers, and you go, no, 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 shh, 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 just wait, just wait. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll talk to them about this when they get older. Why don't you send this in a secret letter? And I'll read this to my kids when they're a little older. And, you know, I, I kind of I struggle with anger. And I'm a little bit quick-tempered and maybe a little unnecessarily harsh with my kids. Let, how about this? Let me work on this for a while. And once I, I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop. I'm going to change my parenting style. And then we'll come back to church, do Ephesians 6 for then. And our kids will be like, I'm so glad I've got a dad just like that. But that's not what Paul does. Right where you sit, as you are today, with your current parenting style, and some of you older folks, your grown children are here, and they're thinking about your parenting when they were my kid's age. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about my kids right now. Paul says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. There's no hiding. There's no hiding in Ephesians 6, 4, and there's no hiding in the covenant community, which is why we do this stuff together. You know, your proximity to the church is indicative of your proximity to God, and it's directly related to your ability to parent your children like God. When you disconnect yourself from your lifeline... You're, as Spurgeon called, that log that rolls off the fire. We had a little bonfire at our house the other night. And our fire pit is a terrible illustration of this because it's in the ground. And so there's nowhere for the logs to go. It's down below, and so the logs can't roll off anywhere. But if you've built a fire before, a campfire, you know that you pile your sticks up and you lay your logs on top and you have your fire going. And what happens when this one over here gets real hot and it breaks and it crumbles like that? The log that's on top goes and tumbles down onto the ground, right? And what happens to that log when it's over here, two feet away from the fire? It turns cold because it's not connected to its source of heat. And so your proximity to the covenant community, to the church, is directly related to your, the, the closeness of your relationship with God. It simply is. God designed it this way. And your relationship with God and the intimacy of it has a direct correspondence to your ability to parent your children like your heavenly father parents you. What are you going to tell your kids about a God that you don't know? that you have no intimate fellowship with. If you've heard the saying before, uh, one of the most embarrassing th things you can do to a Christian is ask them about their prayer life, right? Uh, we all say, oh, I, I wish I prayed more and, and I don't pray you know, as fervently as I should and they're really kind of selfish lists and stuff. And that's true. I'm sure most of us would not want our daily prayers uh, put on audible for other people to listen to at their leisure. I think what may be even more challenging is something I heard Sinclair Ferguson say a number of years ago. He said, I think what you would find, what would be embarrassing to most Christians, is if you asked them to speak about Jesus Christ for five minutes uninterrupted. 
just talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, not what you think about him, but who he is, what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Talk about him for five minutes uninterrupted. Most of us don't have five minutes worth of knowledge of Jesus Christ that we could ramble on for five minutes uninterrupted without, without drifting into pontification. So what are you going to talk about? How are you going to train your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? How are you going to teach them who he is and what he has done if you don't have a vital relationship with him, which is sourced here in this place under the ministry of the word and the sacraments, the ordinary means of grace that Eric talked about earlier. And if you're disconnected from his covenant people, you find yourself more distant and disconnected from him yourself. And what you start to do is you fill in the blanks for God. You fill in the blanks in your teaching and instruction of your children. And unsurprisingly, you fill in the blanks with a picture that looks strangely like you. And so when you come up with unjust rules and regulations and requirements for your children, you can respond with things like, well, this is the way God would would want us to do it as a family. Or, yes, I know that I get really upset about those things, but that's because that's, that's the way that God is. Or, you don't want to parent with uh, proactive interaction. You want to be a little bit more uh, passive. And so you paint a picture of a God who's just kind of out there in the clouds doing nice, fun things, buying gifts and working hard to make your life happy, but he's not really involved in the discipline aspect of your life. Whatever it is, we tend to fill in the blanks with an image of ourself and the relationship that you have with Christ through his church has a direct impact on your ability to father like the father. Paul writes this, in a letter given to a covenant community because he wants all the church to hear and think and work together towards raising our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Now, Paul says negatively, don't provoke them. Don't provoke them to anger. The idea is of giving someone a reason to become angry. Now, does that mean, kids, hold on a second, listen to me, Does that mean that every time you don't like what your mom and dad say, that they're being disobedient to God? That if you get angry at your parents' discipline or rules or commands, that the issue is really them, not you? Of course not. Of course that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying children make sure, or excuse me, parents make sure your children never get angry. Because your kids are going to get angry because they're filled with sin just like you are. And because they have sinful desires and attitudes and actions and inclinations and uh, warped values and goals and opinions and all those things. And so you're going to try to challenge and correct those through Scripture and they might respond in anger. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying parents don't give your children a just reason to be angry with your parenting. Don't give your children a just cause to resent your parenting, whether through an, a, an anxiety that you create in them through a excessive harshness or through a liberalism that you encourage in them through abdication of your parenting responsibility. Here's the problem. There are a number of things that kind of rub me the wrong way. I'm sure that's true for most of you. We can agree. Neil's not here this week, so I'll say it for him. Cats, right? Most of us can agree on that. The Atlanta Braves, most of us can agree on that. 
I figured he's normally trying to edge some demographics, so I'll do the same. <laughs> Here's one that I think we can agree upon. Who's been driving down the road and seen a police car wail by you at a speed that makes your window shake, not signal changing lanes, and then recklessly tailgate the vehicle in front of you for no reason other than just to go around them or make a turn later? No lights on, no nothing. A total violation of righteousness, isn't it? When you see someone who's, who is given to uphold the law and to administer it with equity and justice, violating it because they have the ability to do so. Because who can challenge them? You can't pull him over. Freedom, right? Do whatever he wants, whatever she wants. Doesn't that bother you? Here's another one. I said this earlier, and there was a slight vibration in the sanctuary. How about when Congress passes rules that exempt them from the laws they're about to pass? Does that bother anybody else? It should bother us. That ought to bother us. It ought to rub us the wrong way. That is an unjust application of the rules of the law. It's unjust. Now, of course, police officers are trained, and I'm not speaking against police officers. I'm speaking against the ones that speed. Police officers are trained to uphold the law, and they're given training, instruction, and wisdom to recognize that I need to get there faster than 35 miles an hour will let me, and they're free to do so. It's the abuse of the law, because nobody can stop them, that should bother us. Okay? Parents, when you whine at your children while telling them to stop whining, you are provoking them to anger. Fathers, when you lash out in rage and anger against your child because they're throwing a tantrum, you are giving them a reason for anger, a reason to reject God's law. Because here's what you're saying. You're saying, come here to this community where God teaches us how we should be. Listen to this text where it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, Ten Commandments, and so on and so forth, and then go home and watch my pitiful hypocritical application of that only directed at you while you never see any change in me what's my child learning in that sort of environment what is your child learning in that home they're learning that the law isn't really something to fear it's only something to use for your power it's because and really it boils down to this because you're big and they're little you're big and they're little that's called bullying and that's what happens in a lot of christian homes under the guise of faithful obedience and 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 uh, application of the law of god son i don't want you talking to your mother like that why not i hear you talk to her like that don't disrespect your mother why i hear you you disrespect her all the time now, you shouldn't get in fights at school. Don't get angry. I know that you're upset about... Why? You're, every time you talk to me, you're angry. You yell at me constantly. Mom says, well, you shouldn't get involved with those girls. Those sort of girls, you know, they're going to lead you to do, you know, all sorts of stuff, and you don't want to be that... Well, hold on a second. Every time your friend comes over, you sit at the kitchen table and talk about other ladies in the church like they're not there. Why should I be worried about how my friends are going to lead me astray? That's provoking our children to anger. That's giving them a reason through our 
harshness through our hypocrisy and through our abdication to reject God's law. And ultimately, what are we doing? We're encouraging them to reject God because we make him look bad with that sort of parenting, don't we? How dare we claim the name Father and then say, I'm your father. You should listen to me because the Lord says so. Also, he's our father. There's a, that disconnect is not lost on young minds. And when they see, now don't get me wrong, we all, and this has to be clear, and this is taught through a, a, a lifetime of training and instructing and disciplining your children, through family worship, through corporate worship, through hearing the word preached. Our children ought to know that we are fallible and that we make mistakes. You all know the number one way that they figure that out, right? It's when you apologize to them for your sin. That's the number one way that your children are going to know that you're not a hypocrite, but a fellow human. The number one way your children will come to recognize that you're not a hypocritical parent, but a fallen human parent who's trying very hard to be more Christ-like in your parenting of them is by your owning your failures and repenting in front of them and asking them for forgiveness and then getting up and doing it again. Husbands and wives, this is the same for us, isn't it? Do do I lead my wife like Christ leads the church? Always interested in nurturing and washing her with the water of the word and her sanctification and sacrificing and all that? Look, this is an objective fact. Chick-fil-A soft serve is the best, period. That's a period. There's no, no follow-on statement. That's an objective fact. When we go to Chick-fil-A with our kids because we're adults and we can do this at 2 in the afternoon, and get soft serve, you better believe that I am eyeballing every one of those cones to see which one looks the most compacted and thick and has the best top, because that's the one that I'm hoping that I get. I'm like, okay, hold on. Pass this one back. Pass that one back. Okay, Pat, you can have that one. Do I, is my number one inclination to serve my wife like Christ serves the church? Absolutely not. By God's grace, I try. Oh, and I fail. Or my children? Absolutely not. Oh, my, own, my peace, my own peace and sanity and reputation rear their ugly heads day after day. I want the toys put away so I'm not embarrassed when friends come over. I want quiet so that way I can think about whatever stupid TV show I'm watching. I want them to go to bed at a certain time so that fill in the blank. Of course not. Of course not. But we want to be that way. We ought to desire and pursue that sort of relationship in our human relationships, our horizontal relationships with our spouses, with our children, and so forth. Do I obey Christ perfectly? By no means. I'm asking my children to obey Christ because it's right to obey me in the Lord. And then I'm in turn commanded by Paul here, by the Lord through Paul, to parent them in the Lord, it says at the last, the last words of uh, verse 4. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we're all working together toward this end. And I want to encourage you all that Paul's word here is not a condemnation, but rather an encouragement to pursue good biblical parenting. And he tells us what it is in the second half of the verse. It's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's the teaching, the discipline, and instruction of the Lord. In other words... Is your parenting categorized by your own personality and whims 
or by the instruction laid down in God's Word for His people? Is it teaching that directs them to Christ or directs them to your authority? Is it teaching that encourages them to love God or encourages them to fear you? You know, we can do this through harshness. We can also do it through abdication, where we fail to parent our children like they ought to be, fail to lead them in worship, fail to teach them about God, fail to bring them to church because they're tired and we don't want to disturb their sleep. And oftentimes our instruction sounds nothing like the teaching of the Bible, but rather very much like what we wish our homes sounded like if we had our own way. And so, Scripture tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6 to nurture and instruct and discipline your children in the Lord, of the Lord. It's the teaching that's both about Him, it has Christ as its object, and teaching that directs them to Him, it has Christ as its goal. We want our covenant children to love Christ more than we do, right? We want our covenant children to be encouraged in the Lord and brought up to worship Him better than we have. Yes, that has Christ as its goal. And we want them to know him, who he is and what he's done, what he's about, what he's done for us, what this table here means. That's teaching that's about Christ. I love the word that Paul uses here uh, in verse 4. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look back at chapter 5, verse 29 with me. Chapter 5, verse 29, Paul says, No one hates his own flesh, but nourishes it. That's that word, brings them up, same word. Nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. In other words, the way that Christ loves us is the way that we bring up our children. Isn't that interesting? We think, oh, I I wonder what this should look like. What should I do to be a godly parent? What, What disposition should I have? What system of instruction should I provide? What things should I major on and what things should I minor on? Easy. It's the same way that Christ loves the church. What does he want us to know? This. He instructs us by his word. What does the author of the Hebrews say in chapter 1? He says, many times in, in, in days past, God spoke to us in various ways through the prophets and so forth. But now he has spoken to us in his son. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus came to reveal, to thoroughly reveal, to exegete the Father to us, to teach us who God is and the good news of salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. What should we teach our children? To love God, to love His Word, to love His people, the things that He cares the most about, to glorify Him, the thing that He cares ultimately about. And He gets glory when people love His Son and love his word in obedience, and love each other as the Christian community. Doesn't he? Jesus says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, when you love each other. So if we teach our children to hate the church by bad-mouthing all the people that we disagree with around our dinner table, what are we teaching them? Are we teaching our children to love God when we worship him? Holy, holy, holy Lord God. Oh my goodness. How many of our children are being endeared to the worship of God when we worship him like someone's removing an ingrown toenail? But that's how many of us worship, isn't it? Look, it's not about emotionalism. It's not about just smiling and making your kids think that you like church. It's about you parents loving God, loving his people, 
and loving his worship. As I said in the beginning, there is a direct correspondence between your ability to parent your children like our Heavenly Father and your relationship with him. If you fear him out of a legalistic misunderstanding of his law, your children will fear you because the only way you can please God in your mind is by having perfect children who obey your law because that's what you think you need to do. And if you reject his law out of hand and don't believe in the disciplining heavy hand of God like David experienced, your children will not respect you because all you'll be concerned with is them having freedom and fun and never being trained to be obedient children like Paul commands here in verse 1. You're either going to correct, 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 and they'll fear God's law and not love it, or you'll neglect, 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 and they'll know God's law but not care about it. Paul says, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because we're driving our kids to Christ. I think this is the diagnostic question. How would your family, your children, your spouse, your own parents, your in-laws, and perhaps the neighbors closest to you, how would they describe your parenting? Would they use the word nurturing or would they use the word regulatory? Would they use the word nurturing? Or would they use the word regulatory? Are you simply prescribing laws to be obeyed and then meeting out discipline when they're not? Or are you teaching your children why they should obey these laws and then guiding them into faithful understanding and obedience when they fail? This table in front of us, which we're getting to in just a moment, represents the fact that our Father in heaven loved us so much that while we were his enemies, while we were in abject rebellion, he sent his son to die for us. While we hated him, he loved us. Not after we put all our toys away and made our bed and cleaned our rooms. I'm not dismissing the significance of those things. Don't hear me say that. But he didn't start showing love to us after we cleaned our act up and made our home presentable so he could have his friends over without embarrassment. He loved us while we were his enemies. That's his fatherly disposition towards those that he loves. He nurtures us by showing us our sin, correcting us by his word, and then forgiving us in Christ and showing us what forgiveness looks like in the bread and the cup. That we can remember that Jesus died. His one son who didn't deserve punishment took the corporal punishment that you and I deserve. So all we experience is the loving kindness and mercy of a forgiving father in heaven. And we treat our children like they have to earn our love sometimes. Oh my. Is your parenting, whether it be in your home with your actual kids or in your relationships with those who are below you in status, or younger than you in Christ, marked by a tender, loving nurture that includes discipline and instruction, or by a harshness that simply regulates behavior out of fear. We want a father like the father. That's what I want to do. And that's what I want for you. I want that more for your children than anything. Because we have among us 
what will grow up to be leaders and elders and pastors and deacons and missionaries in the church of Christ. And we need to show them now, today, in your homes, this afternoon over lunch, in the next 15 minutes around that table, and for the rest of your lives, what it looks like to reflect the image of our Father in heaven. He showed us what love looks like. It's the self-sacrificing love that sends his own son to die for people who don't deserve it. If you can't apply that sort of love and self-sacrifice and teaching and instruction to your home, then you're not parenting like your heavenly parent, your heavenly father. And that's what he designs for us to do. We're told not to provoke our children to anger. God has provoked us to faith. Would that that be the direction that we seek to lead our homes, that we would give our children a just reason to place their faith in Christ and to live reflecting his character toward us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. Would you now quiet our hearts and remind us of the forgiveness that we have even for our failure in parenting as we approach your table now. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being a heavenly Father who always gives good gifts to your children, even when we don't deserve them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.